like I want action my life is messy what do I do here you go right here the remedy for the mess is grace and peace this is the prescription this is how to see mess of whatever form it is be transformed into something greater as we begin our study in Ephesians pastor Daniel teaches we need to consider Paul's letter to the Ephesians as a whole In its entirety, it focuses on what God did through the historical work of Jesus and does through His Spirit today in order to build His new society in the midst of the old. With the foundation laid in its proper context, we'll be able to understand and apply God's grace and peace, which is the remedy for the mess in our lives. Let's be honest, life's messy and we all need as much help as we can get. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, verse 1, with part one of our message entitled, The God of the Mess. Let's be honest. Life can be extraordinarily messy. This was driven home for me with a little bit too personal of an application when I was 19 years old. I was uh, just finishing up my freshman year of college, kind of just your classic American story, raised in an all-Italian family on the East Coast, a tight family, definitely not a perfect family, but, but a close-knit family, the kind of family that every Sunday my house was full of aunts, uncles, cousins for pasta dinner. You had to be there. You could bring anyone you wanted, but you had to be there. And it was a madhouse. And I remember that summer coming home after my freshman year at Rutgers University, and I remember my mom just, her health just wasn't right. Just wasn't right. And I remember one day, I got a call from my dad, and my dad said, hey, listen, you know, I'll be back a little later. I got to take your mom to the doctor. And I remember he was gone all day. I didn't hear from him the whole day. I was home, you know, uh, taking care of the mowing the lawn, all the things that you do when you come back from college. And I'll never forget it because that night at about 11 o'clock, my dad came home. It was extraordinarily late for him by himself. And I remember he walked into my room and I said, Dad, how's mom? And I saw my dad cry for the very first time. 19 years, first time. And my dad crumbled like a, just like a, a heap in my, in my bedroom. And he said, your mother's got cancer. It was rough. Never seen him cry before. Didn't even know what that was. Your mother has cancer. It's not what you would expect for a 19-year-old life to have to deal with, really. My mother ended up passing away two years later from cancer after a really tough battle. I share my story because we all have these type of stories, don't we? Each one of us in our lives, in our circumstances, there's just certain things that go on that just don't make any sense at all. You just look at your life, you look at your circumstances, you think to yourself, that's just not what life's supposed to be about. So I share my story with you just to be able to place this reality that life is messy 
It's different for all of us, but it's equally messy, isn't it? The things that we find ourselves dealing with on a daily, on a, on a weekly, on a monthly, on a life basis, things just go on that just don't seem to make a lot of sense. So life is messy. But I'm here to tell you that, yeah, life is messy, but Jesus is real. The Christian message is not that life isn't messy. The Christian message is that life is exceedingly messy, but there is a God who, who reigns over it, who moves through the messiness. We live in a, in a culture wracked by an anxiety, and in some ways for good reason, because there's so many things that could go wrong on a daily basis. Part of our cultural values of the last 40 years has been that everything's going to be nice and neat and certain. Everything's just going to get better. And then five years ago, we have a bad economy. And all of a sudden, things aren't getting better. All of a sudden, people get sick. Things aren't getting better. All of a sudden, the world is a lot closer. What went on across the globe 50 years ago, you didn't even know about, but now it comes into your television set, into your computer, and you feel like, man, this is right here, right now. There's a million things to be anxious about. But then Jesus says, don't worry. Don't worry. So we're going to do a series progressing forward through the book of Ephesians, looking at not only how life is messy, but also how God is real and God transforms messy circumstances and brings beautiful things out of horrible things. How God brings blessing out of perceived cursings. So I want you to open up in your Bibles to the book of Ephesians. We're going to be looking at chapter 1, the first 14 verses. So Ephesians, it's only a six-chapter book, so it's not that all that long, but there's a lot in here. So we're going to look at this together. And what's interesting about the, the book of Ephesians, written by the Apostle Paul, is that the letter breaks down really simply. There's three chapters of what you could call doctrine, and that's a scary word for truth. These are the truths that are expressed. And then chapters 4 to 6 is all the application. If these things are true, then this is how we live. And, and we all realize that, no matter where you come from, that what you value and what you hold to be true drives how you live your life. Your truth claims that we all hold drive our ethics. And so... The Apostle Paul realizes, like, look, I'm going to deal with these things that are true, and then we're going to see how that informs the way that we live our lives. Now, Ephesians chapter 1, beginning with the introduction here, it says in verses 1 and 2, it says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus, verse 2, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is just the very conventional, normal way that letters were written in that day. It identifies who's writing, who they're writing to, and some sort of normal greeting. In a lot of ways, how many of you learned how to write a business letter in high school or college? Yeah, it kind of rolls that way, right? Like you put the address of the people you're writing to, and you, then you say your name, and you say to whom it may concern. This is just a normal greeting, except 
as is always the case in the Bible, things just aren't really all that normal in the Bible. Things are different. The greeting is even different. So it begins with this man named Paul. And this is, Paul says he's an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Now, if you're new to the Bible, you might be like, well, I don't know who this guy Paul is. Those of you who've been around the Bible realize that the apostle Paul wrote three or one-third of your New Testament. He was a man, we know him by Saul in the book of Acts. Before he became a Christian, he was persecuting the church. He was a very committed religious Jewish man. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was very committed to his religion. And once this, this belief that Jesus was God's promised Messiah comes on the scene, Paul just gets mad. He just gets angry. And so he goes out, he wants to squash this thing. He's like, I don't know what these guys are talking about, but they're wrong, and he's aggressively going after them. And then, of course, in Acts chapter 9, the Apostle Paul has this radical experience where he's blinded while he's heading to Damascus to go imprison some Christians there. And Jesus reveals himself to him. He said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he's like, Lord, who, who am I persecuting? He's like, you're persecuting me, Jesus. Because when you touch the bride of Christ, the church, you mess with the church. Any of you husbands know that, right? You can say whatever you want about me, but don't mess with my wife, right? We get that from Jesus, really. When they were persecuting the church, Jesus took it personally. And, and, and Saul became Paul, and God started using him mightily. So this man, Paul, is writing this letter. We find, of course, that the Apostle Paul started this church in Ephesus in Acts chapter 19 on his second missionary journey. You can read it in your own time. But notice he says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. He's like, I didn't want to be an apostle. God made me an apostle. And who's he writing it to? To the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. Now, this is fascinating this church, now this was not like a church like we we're sitting in here today, or if you're in our chapel venue, the church was in a house. Maybe if they were lucky, they were meeting sometimes in, in different uh, public places, but it wasn't like this. He's writing to this group of people who are gathered together in the name of Jesus, and he says, to the saints. Now, when you hear the word saint, or when I hear the word saint, we always think, oh yeah, that's like a hall of fame for really religious people. Like, not everyone's a saint, right? Just the way there's football season, and there's a lot of football players, but there's only a few people who make it into the Hall of Fame of football. You have to be, like, the best of the best. And we have a tendency to think about saints in that way. The best of the best of the, of the religious people, they become saints. They're super believers. But that's not how they're expressed in the Bible. In the Bible, this, a saint is anyone who has put their faith and trust in Jesus, anybody. It's not about how you stack up compared to all the other believers. If you put your faith and trust in Jesus, God sees you as a saint, one who is set apart. So he's writing to the saints. Notice, and it says that they're also, they're faithful in Christ. So part of being a saint is being faithful. When you think of the word faithful, it means to be trustworthy. Someone who is committed and has been faithful to Jesus and in Jesus. And then the greeting, of course, it's classic. We've read this many times in the Bible. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, for those of you who like, I want action. 
My life is messy. What do I do? Here you go, right here. The remedy for the mess is grace and peace. The remedy for the mess is grace and peace. This is the prescription. This is how to see mess of whatever form it is be transformed into something greater. The remedy for the mess is grace and peace. Now, this was just Paul's basic introduction, his normal, like, to whom it may concern. I hope this letter finds you well. It's not just that. For Paul, it's grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace. Now, the word grace in the Greek, now this is not only in biblical Greek, but also in in the Greek of the day. You read people like Aristotle. It always focuses on something that is given absolutely freely with no expectation of return. Grace implies gift. And so the reason the remedy for the mess is grace is because God wants to give you a gift. And contained within that gift is the transformational power to change just a mess into a glorious mess. Grace. You could take the word G-R-A-C-E, for those of you who like these type of things. Grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. God wants to bestow a gift to each one of us, and he has in Jesus. So grace is one of the remedies for the mess. Now also, not only grace, but notice grace and peace. The word peace, in the Greek, it's linked up to a Hebrew word that is pretty common even today. The word is shalom. I remember a a young kid went to uh, Texas, and he came back with a shirt that said, shalom, y'all. I thought to myself, that's a great shirt. We need, to, we need to rock those, you know. Shalom, y'all. But shalom, it's a greeting in Hebrew, but it literally means to join. That's what it means. It means peace. Now, how does peace mean to join? The, the implication is that when something is separated or something is disjointed and harmony has been broken, shalom is the bringing them back together into harmony. When something has been torn or broken, shalom is putting it back together again, better than it was created. So that idea of peace means to join together. We think of peace as these two people were fighting and now they're at peace with one another. They were at odds and now they're joined back together again relationally. Now you have to realize that true peace can only come from receiving true grace. The problem with the, and I don't have anything against John Lennon, God rest his soul, but the problem with just give peace a chance is that peace is impossible if it's not preceded by grace. Because the only way, the only way to bring two people together is if somebody receives a gift in order to bestow the ability to forgive the wrongs. And that's why the Apostle Paul always puts it in the order of grace and then peace. Grace and peace. It's never peace and grace. The G always becomes before the P, doesn't it? Even in the alphabet. Once grace is given and received, then peace is possible. How many times have you tried, you tried to bring back together something that's been broken without having first received that gift of grace, only for that peace to be very short-lived? 
We all know what it's like. We've experienced it. We've tried. But when God's grace in Jesus grabs a hold of your heart, then you can go to somebody who's wronged you and you can truly forgive them because God has already forgiven you. And you respond to God's grace by offering a peaceful hand. So the remedy for this mess is this grace and peace. And notice it comes from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It comes from God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, beginning in verse 3, verses 3 to 14, which we're going to study now, this is one long run-on sentence in the Greek. Like literally, if you were to look at this in the Greek manuscript, there's absolutely no periods. It's a long run-on sentence. And so for those of you who got in trouble in school for writing run-on sentences, if you would have known, you could say, hey, I'm just following the scriptures. (laughs) For those of you who are English teachers, a little grace, okay, for your students. Be like, I know you learned it from the Holy Spirit, but come on now. I want to read this to you, and then we're going to break it apart. Look what it says in verse 3. It says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glory or of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved, Verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to the good pleasure which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, which both are in heaven and which are on earth in him. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed... You were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Now that's a mouthful, isn't it? I'll be honest, as a teacher, I'd want to do three or eight messages just on this section. There's a lot in there. But I think to take it as a unit because it's one long run-on sentence is important. Now, if you notice in this section, you get three or four verses about God the Father, you get three or four verses about God the Son, and then you get two verses about God the Holy Spirit. Now, how many of you struggle with understanding the biblical doctrine of what we call the Trinity? I'm with you guys. I've been reading books about this for 15 years. I know it's true, but how it all works, the way it works, it's very challenging. There's all sorts of break-offs from Christianity with all these things. Like, how does this work? And I think it's interesting that in a messy life, our understanding of God is also messy. Because God is infinite and we are finite. 
God has revealed a lot to us through his word, but how it all works, it's pretty mysterious for us. But notice what, how this begins in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, although messy, God is to be praised. Although messy, God is to be praised. That word blessed be, it means praise be to God. Let our mouths and hearts praise this God. But I'm here to tell you, the biblical doctrine of who God is is not neat and tidy. We want it to be. We want it to be, okay, this fits here. And you have all sorts of people who go get ulcers to try and make you realize that it's all super neat. And I'm here to tell you, even our understanding of who God is is messy. The Apostle Paul says we know in part and we prophesy in part. We see through a glass what? Dimly. Now, because it's messy doesn't mean we don't know anything. But it's not as neat as we'd want it to be. And I believe that the doctrine of one God in three persons, it's the best biblical way to explain who God is, but it's also quite messy. But although God is messy, although God works in ways we don't necessarily understand, God is still to be praised. This word, blessed, in verse 3, it's actually the word that we get our word eulogy from. It means to speak well of. Now, in the midst of a messy life, who's normally the guy who gets the short end of the stick in a messy life? God, right? Things go wrong and we blame God, right? Although messy, God is to be praised. I'm not saying that we have to say, Lord, I thank you that something horrible has happened. But we shouldn't also be bitter in a messy world that God is transforming. I always tell people in the midst of tragedy, I say, look, this is up to you. You're either going to get bitter or better through this. And that sounds like a nice little plaque, but it's true, isn't it? How many of us sitting here today, sitting in the chapel, one of our other venues, watching online, the messy stuff in your life, you're just straight up bitter right now. You're just mad. You're angry. Because things didn't go the way you wanted them to go, you said, man, forget God. And by saying forget God, you're saying forget me, forget my life, forget who I am, forget me being a healthy person. And if that's you here today, listen, there's no judgment. Because we all battle in the midst of the mess to find that place where we can say, I don't understand this, I don't like it, but Lord, I don't want to be bitter either. And if that's you, if you're here today and you've been far from God, I believe the reason you're here today is because God loves you enough to want to draw you back. God loves you enough to say, look, yes, I know you're bitter and you know you're bitter, but my love is still real and I want to do a work in your life. And I know you've been angry at me, but let me do a work in you. For those of you who are going to give your lives to Jesus here today, it's not like all of a sudden you give your life to Jesus and everything changes. No, everything actually stays the same except you change. Jesus is real. Okay, so life's messy. We all know that. We all experience it more than we'd like to. We're all trying to deal with life's messiness. We can all agree that life is exceedingly messy. But here's the deal. Jesus is real. 
don't be misled into thinking Christianity is always a walk in the park. So if you didn't get it by now, here it is again. The message of Christianity is that life is messy, but Jesus is real. God is doing some amazing things here at Crossroads Community Church, and I'm so thankful for what God is doing right here on Jesus's Real Radio. It's my prayer that each day when you join us, that Jesus truly is becoming more real in your life. I want to invite you to join us at Crossroads Community Church this Sunday live. We stream all of our services live on the internet. Sundays 9 and 11.15 Pacific Standard Time or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. as well as Encore services. All of our services are there for people who can't make it to be with us live at church. So please join us at Jesus is Real Radio. Next time on Jesus is Real Radio, we'll learn what goes hand in hand with grace. Peace is the piece of the puzzle that changes impossible situations to possible. Make sure to listen in to hear biblical insight on how God knit all this together in eternity past. You've been listening to Jesus is Real Radio with Pastor Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. Pastor Daniel will continue teaching through his series entitled Life's Messy. Until next time, may God bless.